Welcome to the Matt Morgan Coaching Podcast. The fact that you're listening means you're ready to be inspired and empowered to take your life, love, and leadership to the next level. All right. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. This is Matt Morgan. And today we reached the precipice of this incredible series on the Enneagram. And a lot of you have been emailing in already, and it's been awesome saying, hey, Matt, this has been incredible. It's been helping me gain awareness for myself and my partner, and even, heck, it works at work. And so can you give me more? Well, today's podcast is just on that topic to help you dip your toe in going a step deeper into the Enneagram. And today I have with me my special guest and friend, Angie Nowak. Angie, thank you so much for being on today's podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Matt. I appreciate it. Yeah. So Angie is a professional counselor. We connected through offices next door. She does neurofeedback. And real quickly, tell our audience what neurofeedback is. Yeah, great question. So I basically train the brain. So we use stimulus and reward in order to operantly condition the brain to work differently. How incredible is that? So if you have sleep issues, if you have TBI, traumatic brain injury, concussions, I mean, any of that kind of stuff, you guys help, right? Yes, absolutely. Depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, neurofeedback can treat many things. It's kind of a back way to go about treating the brain without medication. That's amazing. So I have Angie on today's podcast because Angie is like an expert into the Enneagram in so many ways. <laughs> and so she absolutely loves it. And Angie, first of all, how did you discover the Enneagram and why is it so meaningful to you personally? Yeah, of course. So back in college, this is, you know, 10 plus years ago, a very good friend of mine who actually consulted with before going on this podcast, her name is Whitney Jones. She's a teacher with a master's degree in English. I walked into her apartment one day and she said, Angie, sit down. I'm going to give you a test. I was like, all right. So she gave me the Enneagram with the old school, like wisdom of the Enneagram blue book. And I am a very classic three. And I just loved it reading about myself, helping understand myself better. So her and I nerd out over the Enneagram. And actually, we did before going on this podcast. So we did that for years in college. And as opposed to just kind of leaving it there, I bought my own book and wanted to know more about it and then have used it since in career, working with people, dating relationships, my family. And I just think that it is such an amazing tool in helping you not only understand yourself better, but have better relationships with other people. That's amazing. So you're a fellow three. The yes. <laughs> fellow three. Come on. So I'm a wing four. What's your wing? A wing two. A wing two, which is the helper. For yes. those of you remembering. So how does that manifest for you in work and in relationships? Yeah. So a three with a two wing is actually renamed the charmer and kind of how that is for me that especially when I am around other dominant personalities, let's say another more dominant three or an eight, then I tend to go more towards the two wing that I would consider myself a helpful person. I like to help others be successful and I want to help, especially people who I consider kind of like I take under my wing. I do want to see them find success. So my boyfriend is a fairly dominant personality. I would say he's more of a one, but when he kind of needs to take on that more dominant role, subconsciously, I'm like, great, then I'm going to be the two. Hmm. And the one, just so the audience is remember, that's the perfectionist <laughs> so, and the yes. challenger. So really interesting. So for you, you know, within each type, we always talk about, you know, the word personality comes from the Greek word persona, which means mask, M meaning 
all of us, our types are really just kind of the mask we wear to try to cope with the way we deal with life. And there are healthy, average, and unhealthy spectrums, if you will, that I can fall on both all three of those spectrums within a given day or a given hour. <laughs> definitely. Absolutely. Definitely. So for you, you know, knowing this for so many years, teaching other people this, you know, we're all going to go through it. For you in your own journey, 2019, what does that look like for you in your own growth area within your own type? You know, Matt, that is such a great question. So one thing that I have realized about the Enneagram is that it's definitely not something in order to box you in. I think people tend to be a little bit weary of personality types because they feel like, oh, it puts me in a box and I don't like to be labeled that way. And I see it totally differently as a way to help be more introspective about yourself and understand yourself better. So I understand the Enneagram more as like behavioral and motivational. So what motivates me and why am I doing what I'm doing? What are my behaviors kind of motivated by? Every personality type has a basic fear and a basic desire. The basic fear of a three is of being worthless without value apart from their achievements. And basic desire is to feel worthwhile, accepted and desirable. And that I think not only this year, but throughout my life is something that although I would say that I knew about myself, I didn't necessarily know about myself. Threes are very performance-based. We are exactly what it sounds like, high achieving. We want to be successful. We want to be the best. But it's like what motivates us to get there. And that's where I definitely want to talk a little bit about like the self-preservation, the sexual instinct, the social instinct, because there can be many different types of threes. And it's so interesting meeting other threes because although we have the same motivation of being successful, of being the best, of being good, of looking good, it's kind of what motivates us to get there. So I would say in 2019, it's helped me be more introspective just in I do want to be the best, but sometimes I maybe go a little bit overboard on getting there, like the lengths I'm willing to go to get there, given that I am a social three. Often, you know, I sacrifice other things that maybe shouldn't be sacrificed. So that has kind of come full circle in 2018 for me and things that I need to then change in 2019 to kind of do more self-care and worry about my emotional self more rather than just kind of always being the best. Wow. So you, you've thrown out some words here that I'm sure I just <laughs> yeah. going, I'm sorry, social, sexual. Yeah. Roll it back a little bit. Roll it yeah. Back. Amazing stuff. So, and that's actually the focus of what I want to go in deeper into the Enneagram because, you know, I remember listening to someone talk in a podcast and I was like, oh, I want to learn more about the nine types. And then someone yes. says, oh yeah, there's actually 27 <laughs> types. And I was like, like, wait a second. I need to pause this. What did I just hear? 27. Yes. So is that true? And if so, can so, you unpack that for us? You know, yes, it is true that there are 27 types. I think especially for like beginners, focus on the nine, right? That if you're brand new to the Enneagram, going into all 27 types is a bit overwhelming. And I think that if you know what your personality type is, if you are a one, two, three, four, et cetera, that is a great place to start in understanding yourself there. I think once you have a better understanding on exactly what that looks like, you can kind of then unpack and go into like, oh, this is what my wing is or what these other things are. It was very interesting talking. I spoke with Whitney on Saturday and we kind of talked about the different levels of each of those. So yes, there are nine personality types and then there's kind of subtypes underneath that and each one has three subtypes. Yeah, and so unpack those three subtypes for us. Yeah, so each type can either be a self-preservation, a social, or a sexual. And the sexual can also be worded as a one-to-one. -one. So if you hear me say one-to-one -one or sexual, those are interchangeable. I think differently because all people are sexual beings, and it just helps to kind of label it as a one-to-one -one rather than someone, you know, kind of hearing sexual and thinking, oh, well, I'm not overtly sexual. That, that's not necessarily exactly what that means. 
So the self-preservation, I always am going to refer back to kind of giving examples of myself as a three, because clearly I know the three probably the best, but I think that these are pretty self-explanatory. So self-preservation, what does that mean? That means a way in which preserving yourself, that you're more worried about like your kind of physical well-being and your like tangible safety in that way. A self-preservation three can actually look more like a one and a one being a perfectionist or reformer wants things to be good. So not only does a self-preservation three want to look good in an overt appearance, like want to appear being the best, they actually want to be the best. So whether they have a parade going for them when they do something really well, they take pride in knowing that their work and whatever they're doing was actually the best. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting meeting people. They can often be mislabeled as a one, even though they're a three, because it looks more like a one. Yeah, because there's such an attention to detail that they have to make sure that they're not just good enough, they are the best. A social three is someone who is very socially influential, highly competitive, wants to be in the spotlight, but is more likely to cut corners to get there. Mm -hmm. So they're very socially adapt. They understand social circles and social situations extremely well and can kind of adapt themselves to fit in that way. And you'll find that with threes, that threes are kind of chameleons in that way that they can really fit into any situation. But like I said, with a more social three, they're willing to cut some of those corners to get to where they want to be, a self-preservation three wouldn't do that. Hmm. So those are two, although both threes, pretty different threes on the way in which they're willing to get to the top. It's kind of interesting for me. I've seen so many times in my own life as a three where I have looked at something and by my own proclivity, I'm thinking, eh, it's good enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's go through yeah. it. And I will cut corners doing that just to get to the what I want fastest. Mm-hmm. And so I love having other ones in my life to be like, hey, you know, you have potential here, but let's make sure that you don't ready fire aim on people and let's make sure that you do this right. Do Absolutely. Fast. And so it's nice to be able to have other ones in life to be able to help me because I'm more of the social three. So Absolutely. Yeah. Having other people kind of on your team to go, ooh, we actually need the building blocks before we can get there as threes. We tend to be more big picture that we're like, we see the end goal, you know, let's like barrel ahead. (laughs) Yes, totally. So for a three, how does the one-to-one or sexual play out? What does that look like? Yeah. So a one-to-one or a sexual three tends to look more like a two actually, and probably will have a two wing. They very much want the people who are closest to them to be successful and to really lift those people up. So as opposed to a social three or self-pres three, where it does tend to be more about themselves, they tend to be more giving in that way that they really find their success in the people closest to them, like lifting them up, taking them under their wing, seeing those people be highly successful, and they take so much pride in that. And another thing, I don't think that everybody has just one of these, right? That we can kind of stack these that maybe first I'm a social three, then I'm a self-pres three, then, you know, kind of last but not least, I'm a sexual three or whatever that looks like. For me, I know that I'm a social three and that is where my automatic instinct goes to. But I also, a part of a three is enjoying seeing people that you have like mentored be successful. So it's not one or nothing with these, but 
it's kind of where does your first instinct go and what is your kind of dominant in that way? Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I was just going to say, like, I feel like excitement to see other people mm-hmm. succeed even more than I do. I get so excited about them. I do business coaching all the time and I see mm-hmm. people, you know, get better at their jobs and I increase their sales and decrease their hours. And I'm like, yes, you know, and I think I'm like, I'm yes. more excited than you are. So, uh-huh. But I'm like, okay, that's cool that you can stack it. Here's the question. Can that stack order change? You know, and Whitney and I were kind of debating this because often I hear people and it kind of depends on what Enneagram test you take that people will say, oh, Angie, I'm a three with a nine wing. Okay, you can't be a three with a nine wing. Your wing has to be on either side, right? And it can't be, oh, I used to be a three and now I'm a seven. Right. Really. So I believe that probably your subtype can change, not like day to day, but with life situations, but very much your main type will stay the same. So unless you have something extremely traumatic happen to you, and even then, I think that you would just be maybe a less healthy version of that or a different version of that. I don't think that would change. But yes, I believe that your subtype is more interchangeable than your core type. Right, right. So maybe social and sexual might flip-flop over time as the years go on, potentially. Possibly. And, you know, with life changes that let's say you're someone as a young adult who is single and kind of the world is your oyster, you're barreling ahead as a social, and then you have children and you realize that, you know, that's something beyond yourself and greater than yourself. And your success is indebted to them that you want to see them succeed because that means you've succeeded. So I think that those things definitely can change. Yeah. So within these three things, the social, the self-preservation and the sexual or one-on-one, these are the same three things in all nine types, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. And so you talked about a three. Give us another example for another type of how that might play out. Yeah. So one, I think a type that is sometimes a little bit harder to label is going to be a five. And fives are a little bit tougher because they are the investigator. They tend to be a little bit more quiet, a little bit more reserved, a little bit more of an engineer type, very internally introspective, not necessarily somebody who's going to be the life of the party, right? And when Whitney and I were talking, we were saying very much a five is someone who is generally protective, right? So let's say, give the example of like, if a five is building a house, they are going to build a house and build a moat around that house so that they have full control over who comes in to that inner space. A self-preservation five is not letting anybody into the house. Like they got the house, that is their house. Maybe they're like very closest people they might let over the moat. A social five is going to let a few people, like their people, they're going to let them into the house and maybe into one room because Mm -hmm. they still have control over that. A sexual five or a one-to-one five is going to let one person into the house, into any room that they want. And that's, I mean, hopefully a kind of good visual picture that- Yes, they are going to let people in. They are going to be extremely careful over who those people are. I would say that a six, the loyalist, is going to be similar. My best friend in the entire world is a six. And I would say that probably every person, if you really look into it, can talk about their best friend who's a six because sixes are the best friend. They are fiercely loyal to their people. And they have very few of those people, but their people they are fiercely loyal to. So the more social six is going to have more of those people be more planning. 
going to plan a lot of events, whatnot. Fairly possessive. They're still going to be fairly possessive. A sexual six is going to have their one person and they're going to feel very possessive over that person. So generally that's going to be a spouse or even can be a very close, like maybe same sex best friend or a different sex best friend. That's going to be their person. But there are a lot of generally hidden expectations over that person as well that I put in this much to the relationship and I expect to get that much back. Wow. Well, I'm sure everybody who's a six right now and a five is going, Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> just like unpack that. Can you do mine? <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. Is there maybe one more that you would share with us that would be like, Oh man, that would be really helpful for us to know in terms of the social, sexual and self-preservation? Yeah, of course, Matt. So another one that I want to touch on is the nine, because I think that often the nine is a little bit misunderstood. It can look a lot like the two in that it is very helpful and a lot more easygoing. The biggest difference though is a nine, I would say is maybe less aware of some of their motivations as opposed to a two is always aware. So Whitney, um, who I was talking to is a nine. And so we really got into the nine. A nine as a sexual nine or a one-to-one nine tends to really meld themselves with their person and kind of become a duplicate, a second of that person. So if you are in especially a romantic relationship, rather than a two who is going to see what someone needs and what they like and say, oh, you like that, then I will kind of change myself to like that too. A nine just does it. So you kind of see people, and especially if you have nines who are very close to you, that they go from relationship to relationship and kind of change who they are in those relationships. So really, if you have a close friend who's a nine and maybe don't see them for a year and they're in a new relationship, they might be a relatively different person. And I don't say this as a negative or a criticism, more as something to be a little more introspective about and kind of understand yourself that nines are so amazing. I have some very close friends who are nines and kind of what they are as they are is good enough. And so to kind of take hold of that, nines are also, especially a self-preservation nine is very interested in their kind of personal comforts. So nines in general are about inner peace. So rather than making sure that every single other person is good, if everybody else is good, great, as long as they're also good. So they're not going to put up a big stink about things about, you know, what restaurant to go to in a friend group. But as long as they're good, kind of the group is good. So Whitney gave the example that she's a teacher. She works with high school students. And she said, I can have a long day and I will absolutely keep it together. Everything's good. But if I get home and I don't have, you know, my fuzzy blanket and my Netflix, and if there's not a freaking cold LaCroix in the fridge, I will lose my mind. <laughs> and I, know. I was like, that's it? Your cold LaCroix? She said, yes, Angie. That is a personal comfort that I just have to have. And that's very typical of a nine, a self-preservation nine, that they have to have those kind of important personal comforts to keep their world spinning and in orbit. Wow. How about the social nine? The social nine is exactly what that sounds like, that they are going to be someone who's a little bit more outgoing, a little bit more into being in large groups, but very similarly that they want to make sure that it's people that they want to spend their time around. As a three is a chameleon, they will meld to each group. A nine is not going to bother with that. A nine is kind of confident in the fact that they're a nine and who they want to be around, they're going to spend their time around and who they don't, you're probably going to know it that they don't necessarily want to spend their time around. They're not as aggressive as an eight. So you might not hear overtly that they don't like you, but they're just going to separate themselves from that. So a social nine is very aware of kind of who their circle is and who they want to spend their time around. Hmm. 
That's awesome. Can you give us an example real quick? Maybe just time for one more, maybe a, a seven. Yeah. Ooh, a seven. The most social. The um, most social. Yeah. The enthusiast. The most social. Yes. The enthusiast. So a seven, especially like a social seven is exactly what that sounds like. That somebody who is going to be less. The life of the party, right? The life <laughs> of the party, less commitment oriented. That's going to be the person. And probably everybody knows that person who is free spirited, goes where the wind takes them, cannot be, you know, tied down. Some people will sit and in a job going, man, I don't necessarily feel happy in this job. The seven like quit two weeks ago when they stopped being happy. You know, it's like <laughs> they worry about them, especially though, if you have, let's say a self-preservation seven, that is going to be someone who is much more worried about that, that they need to be happy. They need to feel good. Mm -hmm. Again, we always go back to the basic fear and the basic desire. A basic fear of a seven is of being deprived and trapped in pain basic desire to be happy, satisfied and find fulfillment. So if a self-preservation seven is not happy, they will not be deprived and trapped in pain. So they are going to be someone who is bouncing around to more jobs and to more relationships because a true seven is someone who is very idealistic. They want the best, right? They want things to be good for them. So they are going to have a hard time kind of settling in on something because nothing's perfect. You know, jobs aren't perfect. Relationships aren't perfect. And they're looking looking for something bigger and better. A sexual seven is going to be someone who is always looking for that really perfect, really awesome relationship, that really fun relationship. So when things become a little bit more mundane, that's when they're going to have a harder time as opposed to a more so difference being a self-preservation seven is going to be someone who, because they want personal happiness and that they might tend to be someone who is more in a longer term relationship than a sexual seven who is looking for that perfect relationship. And then a social seven is exactly what it sounds like. Like the life of the party, the funnest person ever, the person who you want at your party might be a little bit harder to have really close, deep relationships with, but someone who is always going to be a good time, always looking for kind of the next big best thing. Hmm. So between those three, if there was a grass is greener on the other side syndrome for a seven, which of yeah. those three types would be more indicative of that? Oh, the social, definitely. The social. The so yeah. The social seven wants something bigger, wants something better. And sevens are such an amazing type because they are very intelligent and they're very successful and they will always be these really cool endeavors. It's just something to note as a seven that when like relationships get more mundane and they settle into that kind of comfort level to push through to get to the other side, because, you know, that's a really beautiful place to be. And anything the social, the sexual and the self-prez are always about human needs. Self-prez are more about physical needs, sexual, more about intimate needs, social are more about finding kind of your place in humanity. That is awesome. Well, it's so fun to have you on this podcast because your energy is so amazing. And I'm sure everybody listening right now is going, oh my gosh, where does she know this? And how can I know this more? Like, is there a place that you would recommend them any resources to go to that people can dive deeper should they want to? Yeah. So I love the original blue book by Don Russo and Russ Hudson. It's the wisdom of the Enneagram, the complete guide to social and spiritual growth for all nine personality types. I love that book because it has in depth of the different chapters. There's several different Enneagram websites that you can go to. Beatrice Chestnut is someone who, if you Google her, she has a lot more information on the social, the sexual, and the self-prez of the different types. But otherwise, I am always happy 
happy. I work for Neuroptimize. I'm always happy to talk to people and answer questions. And I know you called me an expert. I definitely don't know if I'm an expert, but I love the Enneagram. I love researching the Enneagram and I love people. So it's a fun thing to understand better and to be able to converse with people about. So Matt, thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun. Yeah. As we close out here, is there anything else you would like to share to leave our audience with? I always want to leave people with knowing that there's no good or bad types, right? And that includes the subtypes, that there's no one personality type that is better than the other, that understanding yourself means owning yourself and exactly what you are. Whether if you're a two or you're an eight, be the best two that you can be and the most true to yourself. If you're an eight, be the best, most gracious eight that you can be and be most true to yourself. So there's never good or bad aspects of a type. It's being a healthy type and owning what you are. That is so good. Well, Angie, again, thank you for being on this podcast and helping us go deeper into the last 10 weeks we've been journeying here. And I hope those of you who've been listening, you've enjoyed this podcast. Please share it with friends. And so we'll see you next time. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for listening to the Matt Morgan Coaching Podcast. Subscribe below, share it with your friends, and if you want to take your life, love, or leadership to the next level, check us out online at mattmorgan.com.